The views and opinions expressed on my story, Living with Lupus Podcast, represents each person's individual experience. By listening to this podcast or reading our blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. As always, consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. My Story Living with Lupus podcast is officially trademarked, all rights reserved. Thank you for joining me for another episode of My Story Living with Lupus. I'm your host, Susan Hendricks, and I'm so glad that you could join me on this Friday, May 22nd, 2020. Today's episode is about diastolic dysfunction. Yes, I will be breaking it down to you to give you a better understanding of what I am going through. Also, I will be answering some questions that I received regarding my health. So, you know what I want you to do all the way from the United States to South Africa. Go grab your cup of coffee, your cup of tea, and to all my listeners late at night, grab your favorite glass of wine. And come on and join the conversation right here on My Story, Living with Lupus. If you would like to appear on an episode of My Story, Living with Lupus, you can contact us at My Story, Living with Lupus at gmail.com also visit us on our instagram page and also our website my story living with lupus
you for joining me. I'm going to break down to you exactly what diastolic dysfunction really is and answer some questions that I have been receiving regarding my health. But first of all, I want to explain to you exactly what diastolic dysfunction is. Now, heart failure is most commonly associated with impaired LV systolic function. However, as many as 30 to 40% of all patients with typical symptoms of congestive heart failure have a normal or slightly reduced ejection fraction. In these patients, diastolic dysfunction is implicated as a major contributor if not the primary cause of congestive heart failure. The syndrome of clinical um, heart failure with normal left ventricle systolic function in the absence of cardiac valvular lesions is often referred to as diastolic heart failure, better known as DHF. Now, however, the diagnosis of isolated diastolic dysfunction as a cause of heart failure, this remains controversial. Now, we all know that our heart beats continuously to pump blood all over the body. This pumping takes just about a second to complete in two steps. The blood is collected in the right and left atria and a signal is sent out um, by the sinoatrial SA node, this electric signal makes the atria contract and push the blood through the tricuspid and mitral valves. The blood now enters the right and left ventricles and the heart now relaxes. This relaxing phase is known as diastole, thus completing the first step of the pumping action of the human heart. Now, I know you probably heard all about this in, um, when we were back in school and back in college, but I'm trying to break it down to you where you fully understand what is going on and what is happening with my body. Now, when the SA node sends the electrical signal to the ventricles full of blood, they contract. This contraction of the ventricles is called the systole. The backflow of blood is prevented by the tricuspid 
and mitral valve shutting close. The pulmonary and aortic valves are opened and the blood is pushed through the right ventricle into the lungs. When the oxygen-rich blood flows into the left ventricle, it is pumped to the circulatory system of the body. When the heart fails to relax or suffers from impaired relaxation action, it leads to an abnormal pumping cycle. Now this is called the diastolic dysfunction. My ventricle fails to relax normally. Thus, the pressure increases, causing problems in the next heartbeat. Now, some of the causes could be chronic high blood pressure, aortic stenosis, coronary artery disease, aging, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, severe systolic dysfunction, scarred heart muscles, diabetes, causing stiffness of the heart, muscles due to glycosylation, and congestive heart failure. Out of that list that I just called, um, I have coronary artery disease. I have congestive heart failure. And you'll hear um, my other diagnosis later when I answer the questions that was sent to me. Now, most of the cases of this condition show that there are no prominent symptoms and they may take many years to develop. Thus, it is very important to make an early diagnosis of this condition. It has been seen that those who receive early medical care have better prognosis. Now, the symptoms that um, will occur is fatigue, breathing difficulty, shortness of breath, tachycardia, distension of the jugular vein, edema, enlarged liver. Now, out of this list, I had the fatigue. I had breathing difficulty. I had shortness of breath. I had edema. Now, I did not have the tachycardia, but I have been diagnosed with bradycardia. Now, when we return, we'll go into it further. So 
Stay with me. There are four grades to this type of heart disease. Grade one is a mild condition that can also be termed as the early stage of diastolic dysfunction. There are no clinical signs or symptoms in many patients. Grade two, this is also known as the pseudonormal filling dynamics. This is a moderate condition that shows elevated left atrial filling pressure. The symptoms are quite similar to a cardiac failure. There may be left atrial enlargement due to elevated pressure in the left heart. Grade three and four, these are the most severe forms of this condition where the patient may show advanced cardiac failure symptoms. The prognosis for grade three and four is generally very poor. The left atrial enlargement is observed and the systolic and diastolic dysfunction is indicated by the reduction in the left ventricle ejection fraction. Now, when it comes down to treatment, diastolic dysfunction is a chronic condition and can be handled by the patient without any medical treatment. The treatment is generally aimed at treating a cause like diabetes, high blood pressure, etc. that leads to stiff ventricle. The treatment is still at a trial and area stage. Calcium, excuse me, channel blocker drugs may be used to reduce the stiffness in the ventricles. Diuretics are also used in case of pulmonary edema. Now, in my case, they informed me that I would be on medication the rest of my life. And so I accept that. And um, we'll get further into it um, when um, we talk later. But let's just recap. Diastolic dysfunction. I'm going to break it down in steps now. Step one, trigger cause for the heart to work hard. Not enough blood going to the heart. Step two, heart works hard to pump the blood out and the ventricles get bigger and tighter. 
Step three, the ventricles can't relax because they are tight. The ventricles get bigger and thicker. Step four, decreased cardiac output. There's not enough space for the blood to fill due to the ventricles being enlarged. Based on being not enough blood to start off with, there is not enough blood to be pumped out to the body. Now, I hope that this answered some of your questions regarding, well, what exactly is diastolic dysfunction? Nothing but another form of heart failure. That's all it is. You know, it. Um, when I see my cardiologist, the next morning after the procedure, I could tell when I told him, I said, okay, give it to me straight. You know, I don't want you to sugarcoat anything. And he stated, Susan, the left side of your heart wall is stiff, hard, and um, you're not getting enough blood, and it's called diastolic dysfunction. And I told him another form of heart failure that I've just been diagnosed with. And um, am I concerned? No, I'm really not. And some of you may say, well, she, she's taking it lighthearted. Let me tell you this. If every time I went into, oh, excuse me, into the doctor's office, and every time they gave me a new diagnosis, and I would just fall out and break down and go into a deep depression, I would not be here today. So when I do go into the doctor's offices and when I do receive those new diagnoses, I sit and look and say, okay, but I'm saying mentally and speaking it, I rebuke it. God is over this body. He's not going to let anything happen to me. Just like uh, when I informed, um, you heard me to say, when I informed my my siblings, oh, I got to go in the hospital. And they all take it hard. My brother takes it harder than my sisters because when you mention Anything about I have to go into the hospital or have a procedure done, the first thing that enters my sister's is that, oh, Lord, she's going to die. No, I'm not going to die. No. And with my brother, I I truly think he doesn't understand 
um, why I don't get all up in a tizzy. You know, he'll he'll call to see how I'm sounding, as I stated before, and um, my previous podcast, and um, try to hold a conversation, and I just sit on the phone, and, and I'd be really laughing to myself, like he's trying to figure out if if I'm worried about anything, and I'm not worried because I'm going to tell you why. I never worry about going into the hospital. I did not worry about being in the hospital during this time of um, CV-19. Because when you pray every day and you know that God got you covered, there's no need to worry. And, you know, I try to tell my family that it's no need to worry. Not at all. You know, just like um, they told me that my daughter took the day off. I said, well, you know, what was the point of her taking the day off? She's in another state. It's not like she could fly here in case something happened. They could only speak to her over the phone. And then before you guys chop my head off, I understand that people handle situations in a different way than I do. And maybe, you know, that's her way of handling things. And I don't know, I just don't get upset. Just call it the favor of God on my life. I don't fear anything. I was not scared being in the hospital um, or anything. It was something that was not done by choice, but of necessity. It's like I told my sister, and I had to get really blunt with her. I said, you don't want me to go to the hospital, so you have two choices. I stay here and have a heart attack and die or go to the hospital. Stay with me and I'll answer the questions that I have been receiving. Okay, you ready? First question is, do you really have 44 diagnoses? My answer is, got your hands out, kick off your shoes, go grab your kids, and let's get started. And you decide after I give you all of my diagnoses. Pulmonary arterial hypertension, SLE, fibromyalgia, osteoarthritis, Sjogren's syndrome, vitamin D insufficiency, fatigue, elevated homocysteine, hypoglycemia, 
mitral regurgitation, fatty infiltration of liver, diastolic heart failure, venous insufficiency, sicka syndrome, elevated MCV, osteopenia, G6PD deficiency, generalized anemia, microcytic anemia, um, polyarthroalgia, pyuria, leukopenia, glaucoma, hypertensive retinopathy, bradycardia, orthostatic hypotension, PVD, sticky platelet syndrome, syncope, cytopenia, hypomagnesium, um, hematuria, neutropenia, dyspnea, um, TIA, um, alopecia, cerebral vascular accident, lymphedema, MCV raised, myositis, myalgia, um, I have degeneration of something. Um, I tell you, it's so, so much. Oh, COPD. I forgot that one. I forgot COPD. So there was a list. This is the list of everything that, um, I have been diagnosed with. And, um, Lord, I may have missed about a few, but did you, did you get all of that? Did you grab all your kids and say, hold up your fingers and let's go. Now, the next question was, have you ever thought about speaking at support groups? Yes, I have. I have been approached about speaking at different support groups. And, um, I will do it, but you know, normally before I do anything like that, I pray on it and I let the Holy Spirit direct me into what I do before I act upon anything. Um, I'm marking them off as we go. The next one is how do you manage stress? Well, I exercise. And I stay away from those who can cause stress in my life. I have no problem at all of cutting people out of my life. Hey, I'm too old to be stressed out. So no, uh, yeah, I exercise. And I stay away from... um, those who can cause me stress and I don't care who it is I'll cut you off in a minute um let's see what type of relationship do I have with my doctors with all six or seven of um the physicians who see after my care um 
it's a good relationship. You have to go in just like they're doing initial consultation on you, asking your family history and everything. I do a consultation on them. I interview them also. And I tell them what I expect. Um, I tell them that um, what I'm looking for is someone to be concerned with my health just as much as I am. I tell them not to sugarcoat anything. I can handle it. But most importantly, I ask for respect. You give me respect, in turn, I will respect you. So my relationships with um, all of these six or seven physicians that are responsible for my care is a good one. We all understand where each other is coming from. In the words of Nene Leakes, I see you, so we see each other when it comes to my health, and they know I don't play, because I will fire you in a minute. Yes, I will. I'll get up and walk out of your office and tell you, no thank you. I've done it. The next question is, how do you stay positive with everything that's going on with you the best way I can answer that a lot of God my life is not over I still have a lot of pep in my step and a little extra glide in my stride God is not through with me yet I know that God has me on a mission and he is not through with me yet so I stay positive knowing that God is with me every step of the way I fear nothing literally I fear nothing nothing now the um Last and final question, because I received a lot of questions. The last question is, what is the hardest part about having your illness? You know, everyone from children to adults copes with their illnesses in different ways. And the way... I view what I'm going through. There's no hard part about my illnesses. Some of you may say, oh, wow, it has to be. But really, there is no hard part for me regarding my illnesses. You know, I've stated on several episodes that These are the cards that I've been dealt. I can either play my hand or throw my hand in and surrender. 
And surrendering is never an option for me. So, I'm going to play the hand that I have been dealt to the hilt. You know, I take what I'm going through, which some may seem to say that it's a negative, but I flip every diagnosis around to work for the good of others. That's why I explain to you what I go through. Somebody out there who is listening needs to hear what I'm saying and know that they can do it also. Life is not over with. And I believe in living my life to the fullest. But I know for a fact, I'm still sitting at the table playing the cards that I have been dealt. And I don't plan to throw my hand in at all. I hope you learned something in this segment of breaking down diastolic dysfunction. Um, you know, in the end, we only regret the chances we didn't take. Rise above the storm and you will find the sunshine. The way I see it, if you want the rainbow, you got to put up with the rain. I'm Susan Hendricks, your host for my story, Living with Lupus. You have a most safe, enjoyable And oh, so blessed weekend. I'll see you next week.
Dreams Expressed on My Story, Living with Lupus Podcast, represents each person's individual experience. By listening to this podcast or reading our blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. As always, consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. My Story Living with Lucas podcast is officially trademarked, all rights reserved.